0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, joined with uh, my co-host, Sarah Whitmire. Today we're talking with our guests about spring gardening, and we are back in the studio. First time in two years that we've been able to do this show in the studio, so uh, there are more ways to get in touch with us today. If you want to get in touch with us, you'll be talking with Talia Halliday, who's the owner of Gather and Oak and Amy Thompson, who is a Purdue Extension, Monroe County, and a master gardener. And we're going to be uh, available to you on Twitter at Noon Edition, as we have been for the last two years, and also news at publicmedia.org. And if you want to call us today, you can call us at 812-855-0811. Or you can call us at 877-285-9348. We're going to start taking calls probably in about 10 10 or 15 minutes. But please give us a call. Um, The Gardening Show is usually one of our more popular ones, so we're really happy to be back in the studio talking about gardening. So let's uh, go ahead. I want to start with with Amy first, Amy Thompson, Purdue Extension um, Office in Monroe County. Gardening. It's April 1st. It's cold outside. What should people be doing right now?
2: Well, um, it is a little chilly outside, um, but there are several things that people could be doing in the garden. garden. One is, of course, uh, making a plan for their planting for the season. There are some things that you can actually put in the ground now, um, such as, peas and potatoes, um, cabbage, kale, things that can tolerate cold temperatures. Um, Our average frost-free date uh, in this part of Indiana is the middle of April, so people would certainly want to avoid putting out anything that uh, can't tolerate cold temperatures, so things like Tomatoes and peppers, even though they will likely be available in stores soon. Um, Too early for that. Um, But there is quite a bit you can be doing. You can always be doing garden uh, bed prep as well. Um, Adding organic matter is a great thing to do for your garden. Lots of benefits, including um, providing sites for nutrients to hang out and uh, increasing your soil's moisture holding capacity, um, but I would caution uh, that uh, don't want anybody to get in the garden when the soil is too wet. Um, that ends up with compacted soil, and you'll spend a long trying time trying to overcome that if you happen to.
1: I'm going to ask you in a, in just a minute. I want to bring Talia on first. But I'm going to ask you about growing grass. I've got a very specific question. <laughs> <right. Am> <laughs> Uh, Talia, you're the owner of Gather and Oak, and Oak is a, a store that sells houseplants, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, we sell mostly tropical indoor house plants.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what's the uh, what's the key to to uh, growing the kind of plants that you sell?
3: You know, we have a lot of different kinds of plants in the store. And in fact, I was talking to someone earlier because she was like, um, "I'm not a, I don't have a green thumb. I kill every succulent." And I always tell them like, succulents is not where to start. Uh, so um, don't think that you're not a plant person just because you kill a succulent. So we have everything from succulents, which I find to be harder, um, to larger um, you know, larger plants that you might have in an office like this, cactus, pothos. I mean, we just have a little bit of everything for every kind of houseplant mm-hmm. person.
1: Yeah. What are your favorites?
3: Oh, it changes on a weekly basis, really. Um, we get plants in about every week because they're living things. And so Let's see. This week, my favorite plant that I got in was a uh, crocodile fern, which is this beautiful leaf that uh, kind of looks like the back of a crocodile. And it sort of shines light right through it, which is really gorgeous. That's mm-hmm. my current, current favorite plant.
1: Okay. Well, Sarah is the gardener of the host, but I have I have my one question okay. I can ask. So we have a backyard that had a lot of shade, but we've had to cut six um, ash, tree. ash trees. Ash trees. <laughs> ash trees. And so now we don't have the shade and we're trying to grow a different kind of grass. How can we make that happen?
2: Well, a lot of people try to grow grass in shade, which is yeah. a big challenge. So just the fact that you have a lot more sun um, is going to lend towards uh, higher success. Now would be the time to work on getting that um, area reseeded earlier in the spring is better. Um, and then, um, you know, sec- selecting a good quality grass seed. And you do generally want a mix of grass seed, um, not just one species. Uh, so looking at the back of the label on the package and seeing what's in there um, is something I would definitely recommend. People are always welcome to call our office if they want specific recommendations. Uh, I can go into more detail, but... Having good soil-to-seed contact, so doing a little uh, prep of the area, so uh, you roughen up the soil if it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, crusty or or very smooth. Uh, good soil-to-seed contact is important for germination. So,
1: um, Yeah, my wife's been doing a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's the gardener in the, in the family. Yeah. But when we went out to look at at grass seed, I was shocked at how many there were.
2: There are for, a lot you know, yes a lot of choices with, with
1: nutrients in them and everything else, yes so.
2: yeah right. yeah and you know uh, the the simple seed can work for you but uh, also um, you know if you perhaps have done a soil test and your your soil may be a little nutrient deficient um, adding in some uh, fertilizer uh, can maybe give your yard a boost as well okay so.
4: So I know we're going to be talking a lot today about things that people can do right now. Um, should Is now the time that people should start mulching? Uh, mulching your perennial beds and around your trees so
2: that they don't get weed whacker blight and that kind of thing. Um, weed whacker blight? Oh, well, when you have people who are running your weed whacker around trees and aren't particularly careful, oh, okay. they, they they can damage the trees or, or shrubs and that becomes a portal for pathogens um, and or insects also are attracted to wounds, so you can cause other problems. So yes, mulching around trees is a great thing. Um, one of the most common problems I see on the landscape is too much mulch, however. Uh, you know, the, vol- the term volcano mulching. Uh, first of all, you want mulch to be a donut, so you want to uh, leave the very base of the plant not mulched um, and then really three inches that's plenty of mulch don't, don't go any higher air exchange between the root system is important and you don't want to pile a foot of mulch around things and limit that air exchange or, or water infiltration So, Do you have to do that every year? Well the mulch will degrade over time and uh, you don't necessarily have to do it every year there's benefits to doing it um, like retaining moisture in the middle of the summer, suppressing weeds, but um, the aesthetics of it, people generally like to do it on an annual basis. So, yeah.
4: I have one more mulching question, Bob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm curious as someone who has loads of old mulch, like it, it accumulates year after year. Is there ever a point where you should
2: take you take that out? You don't really need to take it out, but that might be a point where you decide not to add. Anymore, If you have already a high... But I still have weeds. Yeah, well, (laughs) weeds are not a perfect... Or mulch is not a perfect solution to weeds. You're always going to have weeds because weed seed moves around on air currents and lands on the top of mulch. Um, So I would would probably pull it back a little and maybe refresh it, but that doesn't mean it's going to solve all your weed problems. Should
4: you put down newspaper or something? You could. You You could could do
2: newspaper or cardboard. We... Landscape fabric is sort of a pain. I would avoid doing that. Uh, But, yeah, something that will degrade um, and is organic matter. Okay. Yeah.
4: Yep.
1: All right. We're back in the studio today. So we're taking your phone calls, 812-855-0811, 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area. We're talking about gardening, usually uh, one of our favorite shows of the year when we've been able to do it. Live, we have Talia Halliday from Gather and Oak with us, and we also have Amy Thompson, Purdue Extension, Monroe County. Talia, with with house plants, um, do you have plants that are indoor, outdoor, in here?
3: No, most shop- of the house plants we have are, are mm-hmm. very much considered tropical house plants, so gotcha. they're not native to uh, you know here in in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have a lot of people move them out to their porches, probably. I would say late May to early June, and then they move them back in, depending on the weather, in early October. Um, but, yeah, they're really – see, I was surprised to hear you say that April, mid-April is sort of our last frost date, because I've always said Mother's Day. So well, it's May. the average. Yeah. The <laughs>
2: average. So it's 50-50. Yeah. Mother's Day or Kentucky Derby Day is generally considered <laughs> yes. the, the fly-free. Uh, yeah. Right, which is so
3: long from now. Um, but, yeah, so we definitely – we put – you know, everyone puts their Boston ferns out on their front porch. Or they're, you know, they're big house plants, um, and then but you have to bring them in, you know, come October or November. And then that's always a big challenge as well because you need to check all those plants for any bugs that you might be bringing in once you do bring them in. Um, and then for me, I always accumulate more plants over the course of, you know, June through October. And I'm like, wait, where do I put all these plants that I put on my porch? So. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so they're not necessarily indoor outdoor, but they can definitely um, accentuate your patio or deck if you want to add a few out gotcha. there. Okay.
1: Okay. So the the biggest problems with bringing those in are, are what you said. I know we've we've had a few like that. So having searching for bugs and making sure that is there anything else you have to do with the soil or anything? Is there any any difference when you bring them back in to the you know, a different atmosphere.
3: No, not necessarily. And in, in fact, when you are bringing them in in October and November, you don't really want to repot. We always tell everybody to wait to repot anything until the spring. So this is the time so, of year where you can sort of repot all of your house plants that you've had inside over the winter, if you want to. Um, not every plant needs to be repotted every spring, but this is the time when we would advise it. But definitely not in October and November uh, when you're when you're bringing them back in. I would spray them all down with like your hose, with any kind of anti-insecticide. Anti-insect insecti- insect um, You know, just make sure that you're not bringing in a ton of pests. I have a
4: crazy question about air plants. These seem to be all the rage. Um, and ignorantly, perhaps, I thought you get an air plant and you don't need to do anything. It's an <laughs> air plant. It somehow is magic and gets its energy from the air. But I, I definitely did not take care of them and they died.
3: (laughs) A Um, lot of people, they look artificial, right? Like they don't look real. So they look like decor and so that you can ignore them. But the thing about air plants is they just don't want soil. They still need the other things. Like what are the three things that every plant needs? Dirt, this one doesn't, sun and water. So air plants still need sun and water. Um, (laughs) So yeah, definitely don't ignore them. Um, And in my experience, air plants need a little bit more water than You would expect because you sort of think of them as more along the cactus succulent route so they might not need as much water but we usually soak our air plants at least once or twice a week um, depending on how much sun they get Um, yeah and if you think about i don't know if you've ever been to like florida and and maybe they grow in other places too i've only seen them in florida but they grow in the nooks and crannies of trees naturally in florida so they're getting you know um, indirect sunlight through the branches of the trees they're getting all that random rain that florida has Mm -hmm. um so we have to try to do that in our homes too so you actually dunk them in water what do you do that's what i do so anything if we just have a bunch of air plants sitting out on the table we put them in like uh we fill up our sink we put them in that water let them soak for two to three minutes then pull them out and they have that like not a root ball but kind of like shake them out so that the water doesn't like gather down in their stuff and then, and then set them aside. If they're in a terrarium, like mm-hmm. a glass terrarium, which is also how we sell them, I don't like to pull them in and out because that's sort of hurting their leaves. So we do spray them with like a, just a spritzer. And again, like maybe three or four times. And then you're creating an environment with humidity and everything else in that little tiny terrarium too.
4: I, I had the terrariums and all of the air plants, but I thought I could keep them in the box they came in until I was ready to do something with them. Oh. Yeah, they didn't like that. They were brown when yeah. I got them out. Yeah,
3: they don't activate by the sunlight. <laughs> they just activate by being alive all the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it
4: didn't work.
1: <laughs> we're starting to get a few phone calls. So uh, we our first one, and I want to tell our, our, um, our audience out there, we... It would be good if you could be ready with your name and also a concise version of your question. We're, uh, you know, we're we're easing back into this in-studio show, and our producer will feed the questions to us, and we will then ask them. Gracia Valiant called, and uh, she had a question about the black cloth mm-hmm. to use to cut down on weeds. And, you know, can what can she plant? What can she do to plant under that? That's what the question says to me. Is it um, – I mean, you, you've already planted, right? When you...
2: So typically, yes. You would place your perennials – well, you'd have a bed. You would lay down your landscape plot. You place your perennials, and then you would mulch around that. Um, so then if you want to add new plants, you are – Digging through the, that landscape cloth to add new plants and creating holes in the landscape cloth. And if you put it down there for weeds, you know, that's more places for weeds to come up. So, uh, you know, if it's a big problem and you're ready to take on the job, taking it out, pulling out landscape cloth, um, you know, people do that because it does become a sort of a pain.
1: So I have to apologize. Gracia on the air. So we, oh. she can ask you her question
2: Okay. Yeah. Not sure if I answered it, but go ahead. <laughs> well, in a way, I figured that out, but it—I inherited it, and I don't like it, um, um, and it's starting to come apart. I don't know how long it's been down there,
5: on the you know on the
4: two or three years at least. So
5: I'm not sure I want to pull it up, but so cutting through it is the best. Like my my poor daffodils are in clumps because they can't move. Anywhere They're just confined by the hole that they were planted in. So I guess I just cut through it. And um, do I need to mulch under it at all? Because the soil is really awful under it. <laughs> uh,
2: well, you might, you know, when you're planting new plants, you know, you might be dig a bigger hole. And, yes, you would be digging through that landscape cloth. Potentially okay. amend the hole with um, compost just to okay. increase that. Increase the good qualities of the soil that you have there um, and then, yes, plant into that hole and then mulch around okay. the plant. And, okay. uh, you know, uh, there is no good way. Part of the problem with landscape cloth is that it does not biodegrade in any uh-huh. yeah. time frame yeah. that I'm aware of. Um, so as pieces sort of present themselves, you, may, you might go ahead and rip them out um, you know, not necessarily turn over your whole bed and rip them out, but as you're making modifications, um, go ahead and pull pieces out.
4: Okay, thank you. You're, I don't know; I, it's just not. I don't like it, but there it is. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your help. No problem. Go ahead, Bob.
1: All right, <laughs> I'm just going to give our numbers again. Uh, we have uh, plenty of room. We can we can take your calls eight one two eight five five zero eight one one or 877 285 9348. You can also send us your questions to news at Indiana Public org, or you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition.
4: So, Talia, when we're talking a little bit about um, soil mulching for outdoors, but what about for indoors if you're saying now is the time to, to replant our house? So, everyone has a different sort of way they go about
3: uh, potting their indoor plants. Uh, we are. I won't do it as a call to action, but we have a certain kind of uh mix, uh, right, that we sell in the store. Um, and we recommend that. But you can also make your own mix of of soil and you mix things like perlite or charcoal and you can mix leca. They're all different things you can mix in to create your own potting soil mix. And I think it's It's up to you, A, and how much work you want to put in it and, B, what you're planting. Like if you're planting a succulent or something – or a cactus or something like that, you want cactus mix, right? If you're planting something like um – uh, a calathea that wants more moist soil, you're going to you know, want something that's going to hold moisture in. You know, just really – if, pl- <laughs> if you're planting something that wants to dry out more, you want more orchid bark in it. It just really depends on, on um, what you're planting. Um, I tend to not replant my plants because I don't like to mess with them. Like they don't get replanted in Indonesia when they're growing in the rainforest. Like that's just where they grow. And that's always what I sell people until the roots start coming out of their nursery pots. I tend to not – not repot my plants. But it really just depends on what. This is where I talk about, you know, COVID and houseplants and what people have really come to like and what they need for their mental health. Like some people really need to pay attention to their plants, right? And they want to repot everything and they want to remix a new soil. And that's great. If that's what serves you, that's wonderful. For me, uh, I just like to watch them grow and let them do their thing. That's where my catharsis comes in. So it really just depends on what you want to do.
1: I'm going to follow up on that because I had a general question about COVID in houseplants. I mean, COVID has changed everything, right? How much has it changed – what people are thinking about with houseplants?
3: Well, I mean, our industry, I I started to open Oak before I knew COVID was a thing. right? <laughs> um, we, we uh, in, two, in 2019, uh, houseplants were our number one bestseller at Gather. And that's why in January 2020, I was like, I'm going to open a houseplant store. And then we were slated to open in March and COVID hit. And so um, I know from just trying to uh, get inventory into my store that the garden industry in general, which unfortunately and fortunately we're really lumped into the garden industry, even though I think they're completely separate because people often come different. in to me for garden help and I'm like, I have no idea, which is why I'm so excited <laughs> that you're here so I can listen to all these things. Um, but we, the garden industry in general, including houseplants, was up over 75%. Wow. Um, like, in the, like they haven't seen something like this since the 70s um, because people were at home. You know, so they're creating not only home offices, but also gardening for the first time, maybe ever. And so we saw a huge influx of people buying houseplants and gardening and patio furniture and all kinds of things. So it really affected us in a good way. We have no idea what 2022 is going to hold for us now. Um but we, you know, now we have all these new plant people that are out there and now they have literally hundreds of plants to take care of. And we see some of those people falling off the wagon and they're like, I got to go back to work. You got to get rid of these plants. But then we see a lot of people that we've really, like, welcomed into the fold and, like, now you're a new house plant person and we welcome you. So,
1: Amy, same question for you. I mean, have you seen big changes?
3: Oh,
2: you know, gardening just exploded uh, at 2020, the seed shortages because everybody was, mm-hmm. was, you know, growing their own food, starting gardens, um, just interest in it has gone off the charts. And I think that continues. I do think there's a big mental health component to growing your own food, being in control, although Mother Nature's really in control, but in control of uh, of something in your life when everything else is sort of going on and just getting your hands in dirt is such a great feeling too. Um, but yeah, garden gardening interest is just amazing. And I'm happy about that. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing for people to invest in.
1: All right. We have, we have a caller. Andrew is on the line with a question about some water. Andrew. Hi. Hey, go ahead.
5: Okay. Uh, I was just wondering, I steam vegetables fairly often. And I'm wondering, can you use that water obviously, after it's cooled, and assuming you don't put any salt in it, either on house plants or outside plants, it seems you know why waste it if it's good for something
2: uh, I would say if it's safe for you to eat um and like you said, no salt or crazy seasonings or yeah, anything, no. um, once it's cooled, it would be fine. And there's probably a small nutrient. Um, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Um, yeah, really. nutrient um, quantity that's passed on there. So I don't see any issues with that. Um, I wouldn't be steaming all kinds of other things and watering it necessarily. But if it's safe, oh. it's safe for human consumption, the water should be safe as well. Yeah.
3: And I would say the same thing for houseplants. Sometimes we have some really picky houseplants that want, like, distilled water or something like that. Um, So as long as it was cooled down, you know, I think the same thing for houseplants. Mm
1: -hmm. So you... Say more about the picky houseplants that want
3: distilled uh, water. Yeah, so so we have just some. They just don't like the chem. And I'm not a chemist, you know, or a scientist in that way. But they just don't like the chemicals that are in our water, and so they they want distilled water, or they get little brown edges on their <laughs> leaves. Um, they're little they're little picky things. And so what we at the store, because I'm not about to, you know, we have well over 500 plants in our store at any given day. I'm not about to buy distilled water to water our plants every day. Um, so whether there's any science in this or not, but it makes us feel better we leave buckets of water out overnight and let things evaporate and i imagine that steaming the water kind of does the same thing right maybe in getting the chemicals out of the water to to
4: use for these picky house plants uh, can i again. also follow up to that really quick my my kiddo had a venus fly trap <gasps> It, I think he merits. killed it that way by just, not using distilled water. Yeah, well, yeah. just based on the research I did. Cause he w- bless his heart. He um, he thought it was his pet and was really devastated when it when it died. So we were trying to figure it out, and that's what Google seemed to tell us.
3: Yeah, so I I also killed a Venus flytrap <gasps> the same way. My my son bought me one for Mother's Day, <laughs> and I know that they like uh, they like high humidity. They're swamp plants, right? Um, and that's why they get sold in these like little plastic tubes, and you're supposed to that's to create oh, some humidity. Okay. And, yeah, they really want distilled water now. So you could also put buckets out to collect rainwater. Like that's another option for for things like that because um, they don't have the same chemicals that we have in our drinking water. Some
2: I think Venus flytrap in particular is sensitive to the chlorine, you know, that we treat our water with for, for safety reasons. Uh, some plants are also sensitive to fluoride. But the leaving the water out just like you would for a fish for 24 hours to let the chlorine dissipate works for the chlorine. I'm not actually sure if it works for the (laughs) fluoride or not. Uh, I have to look into that. But if we have a water filter, that would do
4: it? It would depend on the water filter,
2: probably, and what it filters out. Okay.
4: We're probably going to have to get a new one at some and We'll have to (laughs) figure out the right way to do this.
1: (laughs) We have a a question that's coming in uh, over Twitter from Lynn Foster Schiffers. Lynn asks, are there ornamental grasses native to Indiana?
2: Oh, yes, we have some very lovely uh, native grasses in Indiana. Um, Indian grass is one of my favorites. It, uh, it's a, a relatively tall grass, uh, four to five feet tall, um, great fall color. Um, we have uh, prairie drop seed, which has very fine foliage, and if you plant it in mass, It can almost look like waves when it's blowing. We have bottle brush grass that has a really interesting seed head. And we have northern sea oats um, that its seed head looks like little fish on a stringer. Um, So we have lots of native plant choices that are wonderful additions to the landscape. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I I said, you know, for folks looking for specific information, I am basically here as a resource person to the community. Purdue Extension has an office in every county in Indiana. Um, I happen to be in Monroe County, but um, people are welcome to reach out to us um, for gardening resources to answer questions like this. This is what I do sort of on a daily basis, so... Let me say our phone number real quick, 812-349-2575 is uh, how you can contact us via phone. My email is a f s and Frank Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at purdue.edu. So if people wanted specific recommendations on Indiana native grasses, I'd be happy to send them something rather than, you know, trying to remember the, the five things I just named here on the radio show.
1: Right. We have yes. smart listeners. They'll remember.
2: Yeah. Right. Yes, we do. Their retention is better I, I than mine.
1: They want to follow the follow up. So you can answer all these questions here for Monroe Countyans or anybody else that wants to call you. But there's also a, a you in Owen County and Green County and yes. all over. Yes, okay. yes. All
4: right. Okay. We have a, a question related from Mark, and his, his question, I have an area of my yard that drains poorly after it rains, and it just has grass right now. Are there any native plants I can put there that could soak up the standing water? So, um,
2: depending on sort of the configuration and things, yes, the simple answer is yes. There are a lot of native plants that can tolerate wetter soil conditions. Um, there are a number of sedges. There are things like cardinal flower and pink turtle head, both of which are quite showy, beautiful flowers that attract pollinators. Um, there's things like button bush, which is a small shrub that um, also attracts beautiful butterflies. So there's lots of options. And he might consider, like I said, depending on the configuration, putting in a rain garden, uh, which are areas that sort of allow um, Water to infiltrate slowly, and sort of, can prevent the ponding that can occur in some areas. So it would depend on his particular situation if that would work for him. But rain gardens are a good way um, to keep water uh, out of our storm sewers and on our property, and still allow to us to incorporate lots of different plants that um, you know serve all kinds of ecosystem functions. So.
4: When you're talking about some of these native plants, like many of these you mentioned, I've never I've never heard of. I, are those the kind of things that you can just go to, May's or Lowe's or somewhere and, um, and get easily? Uh, native plants have become more available um, over
2: time. Interest in native plants has increased. Um, And you can find them locally. Um, The Indiana Native Plant Society has a list of native plant vendors uh, in Indiana, which you should check out. And I will put in a plug for uh, a group that I'm a cooperator with. Monroe County Identify and Reduce Invasive Species, or MC Iris, will have a native plant sale not until September 10th. But a wonderful uh, array of plants. Many of those I mentioned. And if you're not familiar with native plants, I would uh, ask or suggest that people um, check out the northeast corner of the courthouse square. Um, about 10 years ago, we removed some Asian plants, uh, burning bush and purple winter creeper, and uh, re-landscaped uh, that area all with Indiana natives. Um, Cardinal flower has been there in the past, not there right now, um, but prairie drop seed is there um, nodding wild onion all kinds of plants on that that corner Um, and you know I've seen hummingbirds all kinds of bees and butterflies etc. on that corner of the courthouse square because of those native plants.
3: There's also a garden fair this weekend where they'll be specializing in native plants i was invited the reason i bring it up is i was invited to be there and i was like i don't sell native plants in my store like everything but Um, but at at switchyard park there will
2: be thank you for Mm -hmm. mentioning that so another group that i uh work with monroe county master gardener association our our office coordinates the master gardener program here in monroe county um, and the association is a separate uh, nonprofit that we collaborate with. They are hosting a garden fair 9 to 4 tomorrow in Switchyard Pavilion. And really, the they they do um, – will have some native plant resources there, but the, they don't want – they have basically prohibited vendors that sell invasive species. Mm. Yeah. so
4: okay. yeah. Perhaps it's a dumb question, um, but I'll ask it anyway um, – do deer not enjoy those kind of native plants as much?
2: Um, there are certain ones that they don't okay. enjoy. You know, deer uh, visit the buffet. Yeah. And depending on what's available at the buffet, they they I, I never say a plant is deer-proof because depending what else they have around or if they're just checking something out, they may eat it. But they definitely have preferred species and less preferred, like things like daffodils right now. You know, our daffodil bulbs are blooming in the spring. They... Deer, deer don't eat them, so there are things that deer really avoid. Um, but native plants get browsed by deer, but many of our non-native ornamentals do as well. So there's really no difference in it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. say I, I, if people are looking for a, a list of deer-resistant plants, again, I can help them out with that. But um, nothing is deer-proof for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So this is our first show back in the studio, and. Over two years, and we're talking about gardening. I should say we are all socially distanced. That's a good thing. We have uh, 20 minutes to go. So if you have your questions about gardening this spring, uh, we have two guests with us. Talia Holliday is the owner of Gather and Oak, and she specializes in houseplants. And Amy Thompson is with Purdue Extension Monroe County. You can call us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also Find us on Twitter at Noon Edition and you can send us email to news at Indiana Public dot org. We've had a couple of calls or a couple of questions sent to us by through our producers. Uh, one, these are both for Talia, about houseplants. Sh- should you or can you compost it all for houseplants?
3: Uh Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I've always used my compost just for the garden. Um, I have You can sometimes. I think you want to be a little more careful. Um, like I've heard that people can use uh, coffee grounds for their houseplants as sort of like a fertilizer and then also um, crunched up eggshells. And I think that that really helps. Otherwise, I don't really know that composting for your houseplants does a whole lot of good because you're when you compost in your garden, you're sort of adding to this larger mound of dirt, right? And you're pushing, you're, you know, you're, you're moving the, the soil around. But with houseplants, you're not really doing that as much. So I don't know that I would recommend that, um, but I don't know for sure. All
1: right. Well, here's another houseplant question. Yeah. Any houseplants that you should absolutely not plant in the ground or dump outside because they might be invasive?
3: I mean, I don't know about houseplants that are invasive, but they're they're just not going to grow outside year round. They're just going to die, um, like they'll for the most part. Like I don't know. Sometimes we can get some succulents, like. Um, what are they? Hens and chicks? Like you can get those to grow, and I think people consider those a house plant. Um, but here in Indiana, in our zone, um, I don't have any house plants that I would recommend uh, on putting outside. Not because they're invasive, but just because they will die.
2: I will say, just to add to that, occasionally you'll see like topiaries with English ivy, uh, and English ivy is an invasive species. So um, there, there, there could potentially yeah. be some. I would, I would be sad to see somebody dump their English IV topiary outside and then it take off and cause a problem so I would operate with caution and
3: huh. those guys are resilient too I hadn't even yes. thought about
4: it. we don't carry things like that in the store yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so yeah you're the you're that. tropical
4: so yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we were talking about gardens at the beginning of the show so what is the difference between a raised bed for vegetables using the actual ground and um, which is better
2: Uh, I wouldn't
4: necessarily
2: say one is better than the other. It's sort of um, what you're interested in, what your resources are. If you have horrible soil um, and, um, you know, can make the investment in a raised bed, that can be a way to overcome your horrible soil or if your soil is really rocky or something like that. Or if you have accessibility issues, if bending and reaching is difficult for you, raised beds can definitely – allow you to continue gardening when otherwise it might have been pretty hard on you. But as far as what you can grow and produce, I'd call them even.
3: I would say in my experience, we did a... Our first year that we built a garden, two years ago, of course, um, we didn't do a raised bed, and it was a mess with weeds. Like, I could not could not keep up. We got a little in over our heads. So last year we built raised beds, and I was it was much easier for me to keep the weeds at bay um, because they were in raised beds, maybe because we had six inches of soil in there, like a variety of things. But they were a little easier to maintain. I, in my experience. Right, and I would say with any
2: gardener who's just starting, starting small is not a bad thing. Um, if you have grand plans, weeds can quickly overwhelm you and it gets really discouraging, discouraging. So, starting small, a raised bed or two, or a plot or two in the ground, or even a container or two on your patio. Um, uh you know, and and maybe if you're just starting gardening too, start with things that are easy to grow. Radishes, lettuce. Tomatoes. Tomatoes, tomatoes. have a lot of disease oh. <laughs> pressure in Indiana. But you can you can definitely grow healthy or you can get definitely get tomatoes, but um you you should expect spots and not panic over spots necessarily. Um
1: Seems but, like you can get zucchini every fall. Oh,
2: you my know? gosh. You... Late summer. If you so. get to some, you seem to get a lot. Uh, there are a couple pests of zucchini that I frequently get contacted about. Squash bugs and squash vine borer are, two that uh, once you have them in the garden, they continue, you know, they overwinter in the soil. So you can generally continue to have problems, and they can be pretty frustrating, but...
4: At least in my experience, and maybe this is just a fluke, but it seems like in raised garden beds that I get fewer critters. Um, we live in the woods, so we have lots of troubles with anything. Um, right? Yeah, chipmunks, rabbits, squirrels, anything that eats things.
2: And you have less trouble in the raised beds I, than yeah, you Yeah, it seems yeah.
4: like it, um, but who knows? I, I don't they know. haven't found that buffet line yet. We, <laughs> just we just don't really have luck at this point, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. You can go ahead.
1: We have a couple calls uh, again. We have uh, Mike who called in and, and says his daughter raises witch hazel. Can we plant it here? Where can I get it?
2: Oh, well, it is. Witch hazel is a – we actually have a native witch hazel in Indiana. And one of the fabulous things about witch hazel uh, is that it blooms like in November. Uh, uh, it – late in the fall and it has these – fingery looking uh, yellow blooms that are really attractive and yes we can grow it here I have it growing in my yard Um, I have actually a a fall blooming witch hazel and a spring blooming witch hazel it's not super easy to find I would say Um, you might have to track it down um I will say both mine came, came from Kentucky. I'm sure it's available in Indiana. But I went to grad school at the University of Kentucky and have connections down there. So um, that's that's where mine came from.
1: <laughs> All right. We have two other callers that are on the line. And, and uh, Mike didn't want to go on the air, but Steve will go on the air with us. Steve? Hey, Steve. Steve? Hey, um-
5: First, hi Talia. How are you?
3: Hi Steve. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for filling my house with all your plants. Oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, gardening question. Um, I've I've got an uh, outdoor sixteen by sixteen garden, and I have the two most common problems in Southern Indiana: lots of clay and lots of moles. Um, how do I? I'm, and I really want to when i put the garden in i kind of made it a little bit raised and i put a lot of new like compost and topsoil on it but i think that's just kind of thinned out and um my plants are starting to struggle so i was looking for advice on how to best kind of improve the soil quality um and kind of get more room for the plants to grow and get through the clay do i just let like, keep piling on top of it with new soil do i try to break through the clay what what would work best
2: uh, incorporating organic matter would help your soil tilth. So the crumbliness, the, the, the ease of ability to work with the soil. Um, it also would improve your moisture holding capacity. Um, so incorporating organic matter is often the first thing out of my mouth when anybody has a soil question, because that is just a standard. Um, and then I don't know if you have worked to incorporate any cover crops, Um, But um, incorporating cover crops so that you have continual soil cover and then um, you also have the roots of those cover crops working on, you know, breaking through that clay. And then you incorporate the organic matter from the cover crop once the cover crop is done growing is uh, a good thing to do. I would not necessarily plant a cover crop now, but as we move into the fall, um, you might consider one um, for the fall that would be killed by winter temperatures, and then you even you don't even necessarily have to incorporate the residue from a cover crop. It can actually sort of serve as a mulch, and you can just plant right into the residue on the surface. So um, I, that, those would be the two things I would recommend. Um,
1: that's awesome. What's your favorite
2: cover crop? Um, well, there are a number out there. Uh, one, actually, that you could try this summer, at least maybe on one bed, is buckwheat. Um, and I love buckwheat because it grows really fast, and it, pollinators love it. And uh, you, as long as you mow it um, before it goes to seed, you don't have to worry about it popping up all over the place. So um, that would be a summer one. And then... Um, uh, there's a number of them out there. I would say reach out to me, and I'm happy to send you some resources on some other ones you might want to check out.
5: All right. Great.
2: Thank you so much. Yep. Can right. I ask a que- yeah. The yeah.
4: other thing he mentioned, moles. We always have to ask the question about moles because it usually dominates our conversation, but anything new we should know about moles and how to keep them out of your yard. We used to always hear, just get a cat.
2: Uh, nothing new I would say the two research based methods of controlling moles would be um, trapping and then the earthworm type baits that you can buy um, those have both been proven to be the most effective methods don't waste your money on ultrasonic devices don't put juicy fruit down the, the mole tunnels don't Uh, misuse a pesticide like mothballs, which are a pesticide, and put them in um, uh, the mole tunnels. Um, Mole's number one food source is earthworms, so also don't think if you see a grub, I must get rid of the grubs uh, in order to get rid of all the moles. Moles love earthworms. That's their candy store. So um, if you have a grub problem, that's a different discussion. Um, uh, But um, Yeah, moles are, you know, even if you uh, uh, win the battle, you're going to lose the war. They're just, you know, they repopulate as soon as you move them off your property. (laughs) So... I, I live and let live with moles in my house, and I know that's really hard for some people to do, but that's the fault. Do you have a yard me. you mow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're just
4: constantly? Yeah. Yeah. Moles. yeah. Yeah. You could break a leg. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, They're pushing up my brick pathway. Yeah. That's how like, bad they've gotten in our yard, yeah. so I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's the, one of the most common questions I get also. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. We have uh, Randy who's on the line now. Randy's got a question about uh, shrubs. Randy?
5: Hello, yes. Uh, first, I wanted to revisit uh, Grace's question about landscape cloth, which they seem to sell a lot of, and people put it under their mulch. And as Grace had discovered, it takes uh, quite a bit of violence to remove it <laughs> after after uh, that mulch is broken down and you get a lot of little roots. So unless you're planning to put it under uh, rocks, I would say is newspaper or or, uh, cardboard I agree my question is about I guess a cedar shrub that has been here for it might might be 50 years it's been here for the 20 plus years that I've been here and looking quite good until this year it's about 4 feet tall and probably 8 by 12 feet horizontally and I just noticed that it's turning brown all over it's, just, it's not the bright green it usually is and i was wondering if anybody there knew what that was or if, if, if there's anything i can do about it um
2: uh, so i assume by cedar you mean a juniper species of shrub um they do get a couple of different uh fungal diseases that potentially could be impacting um the foliage Uh, One of the first questions I ask uh, when people call about decline in plants is whether there's been any root disturbance or soil compaction um, that could be impacting the root system, Um, you know, any trenching or digging, um, if there's been any application of chemicals of any sort that might have been impacting the plant, it's... Uh, Diagnosing these kinds of problems is sort of like putting the puzzle together. So um, off the top of my head, those are the things that come into mind. Um, None of
5: those apply in this case.
2: You would be welcome to email me uh, digital photos of the shrub, and I might be able to provide additional assistance in trying to figure out what's going on and perhaps some control measures that uh, could help manage the problem. And my email is afis and at purdue.edu.
1: All right. Thanks, Randy. Uh, We have a question from Scott that came over Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. Have you had any experience using diatomaceous earth? Diatomaceous (laughs) earth, yes, Uh, for insect control.
2: Um uh I have used diatomaceous earth as a uh, uh parasite control on my chickens um and the way what diatomaceous earth is it is it is dio, diatomes, which are itty bitty fossilized sea creatures and um they sell it in a bag um the way it can impact insects is uh crawling insects and things like slugs also crawl over it and their body gets abraded uh, so like you scrape a knee and they basically dry out you know you're you're scraping your skin which heals but their exoskeleton doesn't necessarily heal so the, the insect will desiccate over time um, so it can be effective that it's not effective for every insect because typically you know they have to crawl over and be exposed to the the diatoms enough to have their skin abraded. Um, and I would caution people, it, it is an organic problem, product and everybody thinks organic means completely safe. Diatomaceous earth is an inhalation hazard. So if you are utilizing it, you should wear a mask um, and avoid inhaling it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it would depend on what insect you're trying to control, whether it would be effective
4: or not.
1: All right. We have three minutes to go. Can I ask a quick
4: iris question? Absolutely. Is now the time to break those up or is that bad to do that now?
2: You could do it now. Um, yeah. I, I might wait just to actually – our crazy weather. I might wait just a little bit longer um, just because they are going to desiccate a little bit when you move them and the cold and desiccation at the same time might add a little stress. You're probably fine moving them now. It's just an abundance of caution. I might wait a couple couple months yeah. – or not months, weeks, yeah.
1: Natalia, what are the are there I know there are, you said you have over 500 varieties of houseplants in your store. I mean, are there what's the rage today? What's the What are the new things that people are are coming in to buy?
3: So right now there's a there's a species of plant called peperomia, and there are about probably 20 different varieties of peperomia, and those tend to be really popular in our store for a variety of reasons, I think. But number one, mm. when you come in our store, you'll see that each of the plants is labeled with the name, the price, obviously how you water it, uh, how much sun it needs, and if it's toxic to animals or not. And that's the thing about peperomia so many. Uh, plants that we have in our store are toxic to animals but Peperomia as a general rule are non-toxic to animals and so we always uh, steer people toward those plants Um, and then there's a variety of how they look. Some of them are big leafed, some people some of them are small leafed so they can sort of appeal to any aesthetic as well which is why I think that they're really popular right now and Mm -hmm. they've got some nice color to them as well Um, so it's not all just like a solid green. There's some like variegation in there, there's some reds and purples and things Mm -hmm. like that. A little something Mm -hmm. for every Everybody. All
4: right. Yeah. You all, all said you couldn't yeah. predict what next year or what this year is going to look like after last year. But um, do you think we're going to have a seed shortage? I mean, is no, should people – are people so. – okay. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, last year – The the first year was was, was bad.
2: Last year was pretty much normalized, so I don't anticipate a problem again.
3: I think for local business, we just don't know what 2022 is going to look like. Uh, Just in general. (laughs)
1: Right. right.
4: All (laughs) right.
1: We are are out of time. I want to thank you both for being our first guests back in the studio after a two-year absence while we were doing things online. I want to, uh, Things went great today and I want to thank the people that helped us with that. Producers Bento Boutier and Holden Abshire, and also co-host Sarah Whitmire. Our guests were Talia Holliday and Amy Thompson. For engineer Mike Pashkash back in the driver's seat, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for
0: listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation. Improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. You're listening to WFIU Bloomington
2: with translators
4: W270BH at 1019 in Bloomington.
0: W-264-AL at 100.7 in Columbus.
4: W-269-BU at 101.7 in French Lick, West Baden.
0: W-255-BG at 98.9 in Greensburg.
4: W-291-AM at one o six one in Kokomo.
0: W-261-CM at 100.1 in Seymour. And W-236-AE at 95.1 in Terre
5: Haute.